Hi everyone, Jamie here from Batball Podcast and this short segment I'm going to talk to you about is about your garage doors. Now, this sponsored segment is one of the new segments we're going to be doing so that you don't have to listen to it in video, it'll be at the start before the episode. And um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about your garage doors. Your garage doors are happy to sponsor the Batball Podcast. They supply, install and maintain all forms of domestic garage doors. And even better, they offer free quotation service and have a showroom available in Long Eaton. Perfect for all my people living in uh, Nottingham, living local. Uh, I will leave there. Uh, if you want to get in contact with them, you can either message me, Jay Martin, on Facebook and I'll give you theirs. Or you can call 0800 772 So you can call them on that 0800 772 So get in contact with your garage doors, guys. And uh, I'll speak to you very soon. Enjoy the episode. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Batball Podcast. Now, today is episode 45. Um, if you're interested in the service my uh, sponsor provides, please let me know and uh, get in contact with them. So, episode 45, we're going to be talking a little bit about what the thing that's been in the news for the last, uh, what, year and a half now. We've been in lockdown for over a year. Um, well, not technically over a year, but you know what I mean? Um, now today we're going to be talking to um, to Paul, and he is he, well. Actually, Paul, tell my guests a little bit about who you are. Well, I'm Paul uh, Swift, and I've lived in Beeston until most of my life. Um, my father, I actually was born in Lenton. Spent two years in Lenton, which is where my father came from. Uh, but my mother's side of the family was from Chilwell. And we moved over here when I was two. And uh, I've been here pretty much ever since, apart from when I went to university. And when I first came back from university, couldn't afford uh, to, to come back to Beeston and ended up living in Nottingham for a while. Um, so I've grown up here, worked here, and now my son's growing up here, going to the same schools that I went to. Uh, so you can say that uh, I've been someone who's been around Beeston and the NG9 area for a long time uh, and it's a place that obviously is close to my heart. Um, so last year when Covid started uh, I spoke to a few people and one, what, what we did right at the beginning actually it was before the first lockdown so about a week or so before the first lockdown we sensed that uh, what was coming and a few of us discussed setting up a mutual aid group and um, we set up the Beeston and Chill mutual aid group um, last March and within a week we had about uh, 3,000 members I think. It's, I haven't looked recently but it's well above 3,000 now mm. uh, and we on the back of that we set up um, what we called street groups so we encourage people to set up their own support networks in the community uh, at street level or a group of streets uh, where they um, kept in touch with each other via whatsapp or facebook group or whatever uh, and we sort of tried to coordinate it so that we, we we had a spreadsheet a facebook page so we could get information out there and, and we're a conduit between uh, the local street groups and local authorities and charities so uh, uh, Nottinghamshire County Council put us on their community hub um, information. We've, we've, we've also liaised with, with the local district council. 
Uh, in fact, Barstow Council um, donated some money which enabled us to set up a separate group uh, that I'm not involved with, but a separate group uh, to uh, um, give aid to people as well. So, yeah, that's sort of what I've been involved with uh, over the last uh, 12 months with lots of other people. I say there's, there's about 100 street groups. Each of those street groups has got somebody coordinating it. And then there's a small admin team of about uh, half a dozen or uh, to a dozen of us. It's varied over the year. Um, so we, we've seen a lot of what's happened locally over that last 12 months. Um, what I'm now interested in is what comes after that. Um, it's been great to have uh, see people in the community looking out for each other, supporting each other. Uh, just little things that that wouldn't be done otherwise, like shopping, collecting medicines, things like that. So those are things that hopefully will build longer term relationships. Um, but I think what we're now looking at is what happens post COVID in terms of businesses recovering and the community moving forward, and and hopefully. Build it, building, well, a lot of people have talked about things building back better. Mm. Yes, they have. In fact, I I, know, I knew the slogan, uh, not just for COVID, it was because of, I think it was Joe Biden's running campaign one um, slogan, yeah. and uh, and then Boris adopted it, you know, doing his thing. <laughs> uh, but tomorrow is a pretty big day. Um, it's the 12th of April tomorrow, um, as, you know, most of us will know. Uh, well, if you're on holidays, uh, you might have forgotten the day, as I did last week for most of the day. <laughs> uh, but, well, yeah, tomorrow is the 12th of April. Now, why is that a big day, you may ask? Well, non-essential shops, pubs, you know, hospitality as a whole, hairdressers, uh, salons, you know, all those great places are reopening. Now, of course, they're not reopening and it's all back to normal. There is restrictions. Pubs, you have to sit outside, um, which... With how the weather is at the moment, in some ways, okay, well, it's looking sunny <laughs> outside today. And then in some ways, it's like, ah, oh, snow and whatever else a few hours before. <laughs> so it's going a bit crazy, the weather is. But the restrictions that are on hospitality uh, and other businesses, of course, isn't ideal. There is no ideal way of doing it. Um, but I suppose this is the best... Sit Would you say this is the best solution at the moment for... For not only safety, but for well, yeah, just just for safety um, to to stop COVID spreading, this is probably the best way we can do it, and businesses still be able to open. Well, yes, hopefully. I mean, um, different people are going to be willing to do different things, and I think there is going to be a degree of scepticism there. Uh, but this is the second stage of the roadmap, and I have to say. When when uh, Boris came out and had this announcement about the roadmap, um, some people were sceptical how far we'd get down it without hitting or encountering problems. Mm. And we, we are now at the second stage and more things are opening up. So that's uh, that's positive. Um, I, I think that there was a degree of scepticism and some of that goes back to the fact that we've we've had false starts before. So mm. uh, um, some people uh, felt that we opened up too quickly um, and, and too much in one first lockdown last year. Um, so we went from lockdown to uh, heading into summer and then you can remember eat out to help out and all of that. Uh, and then by the time we got into the autumn, we, we had uh, rising numbers of cases. 
cases again and still no vaccine. Mm. I think what's given me greater hope this time is that um, the scientists managed to produce a vaccine very quickly. That's now being rolled out quite successfully in this country. So that gives some assurance in, in terms of protection for, well, over 50s. Um, I, I just crept into the last uh, uh, cohort of people who've had the vaccine. So I've had my first vaccine a few weeks ago. So it, it's giving greater confidence to, to over 50s and particularly people in that cohort who, who've got underlying health conditions um, that they will have greater protection now moving forward um, I think all the way through they've it's, it's older people that have, and, and people with underlying health conditions that have been at the most risk and to mm. some extent we owe um, younger the younger generation uh, a, a debt for putting their, their lives on hold for the last year um, and and largely following the um, the guidance that's been given out. I mean, I know there's a lot of bad press and the press are always looking for stories of student parties or whatever else, but the vast majority of people that I know and, and we've seen have, have, have followed the rules and tried to do their best. And that's put us in a position now where hopefully we're able to open up again. Um, the one thing that I'd like to see uh, have more in place um, because the vaccine alone, I don't think is, uh, it would be good if um, we had a track and trace system that was more robust and, and, and was, was fully operational, in my view, so that if there were localised out, uh, uh, outbreaks of, of increased numbers of cases again, uh, that could be dealt with very quickly to stop uh, numbers going up again. But we've got what, that one caveat, yes, it's great that things are opening up tomorrow. I'm sure lots of people are, are, are looking forward to be able to do some of the things that they've not been able to do. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to, well, the first thing I'm looking forward to is getting a haircut because my hair is a right mess. Uh, uh, and the second thing that I'm looking forward to is being able to sit outside a pub uh, with a pint. And uh, I've arranged to meet a, a friend for, for a drink on Tuesday lunchtime. So not tomorrow. What I'm doing tomorrow is I'm going into Beeston and I'm going to go around and ha have a chat with some of the businesses that are opening up. Uh, hopefully do some reporting of that, both on my own social media for, for, for my business, uh, Synergy Life, uh, in collaboration both with the Federation of Small Businesses, of which I'm a member, and uh, by sharing that with NG9 News, so that we, we can uh, talk to small businesses businesses that are opening up after a difficult last 12 months, uh, find out what people are doing, get their perspectives on how things are going, uh, maybe talk to, to some customers as well that are, are around in Beeston tomorrow, see what they think of, about uh, the way things are changing uh, and give some to our small businesses because a lot of them have had a very tough 12 months and one of the things that I hope we can see is um, support for them tomorrow by people going out shopping local supporting the businesses that are reopening but also supporting them by continuing to follow, follow the rules that are in place so that none of those businesses are put in difficulty uh, through through no fault of their own um, so yeah and 
as I say, the, the, the things, as you, you, you mentioned, Jay, the things opening up tomorrow, uh, yeah. there's, there's non-essential retail, so shops that haven't been able to open since the beginning of January can now open. Um, these uh, nail bars and hairdressers can open up again. Um, and as you said, um, food can be served, food and drink now can be served outdoor, uh, but so table service only. A hmm. uh, couple of other things that are opening up tomorrow. Um, Beast and Market's going to be opening for the first time in a while, and that's great to be seeing that back. And that's not, now going to be uh, hopefully every Monday and Wednesday. Uh, so the traders will be back on Beast and Market. So I'm looking forward to putting my head into there. And not strictly business, but good again that, uh, that some public buildings that haven't been open, like the library, will be open, which should bring more people back into. Uh, communities into Beeston, into other places where, where libraries and buildings are opening up so that that will attract footfall into the businesses that are opening. So, yeah, great, positive. It's a very positive, um, it should be a positive day. Um, of course, there are some businesses that remain closed. Nightclubs yep. haven't been open since, well, it would have been the start, wouldn't it? They're the first yeah. Um And for them, it has been a really, really tough time. So when we can go to nightclubs again, I say, you know, people older than 18, um, enjoy yourselves and, um, and also help them out because they have been shut for a very long time. And, you know, hopefully we go ahead with it how it is in June. Now, I'm going to give a few um, insights into what I think about tomorrow and the future based off what you just said as well. Now, with tomorrow, there is, of course, the level of excitement a massive amount of excitement i'm excited although i'm back at school so i'm actually not that excited for tomorrow i am excited to see businesses open that's what i am excited about um i'm not looking forward to exam week but but um on on the 12th of april tomorrow monday we are going to see happy faces we're going to see um hopefully you know bustling but safe high streets you know and hopefully we will see smiles on business owners faces and also people using the businesses because it's been a long time um, and i think for many people that go oh well you know businesses it's only it's not been that long you know it'll be fine but you don't understand when that has been your routine you know working however many days a week or running the, the business every day you know the past 10 you know however long you've been going you realize that just you know three months is actually a massive amount of time it's a giant amount of time. And uh, for, for, for businesses, although we have had grants, you need to realise that, that businesses as well, they, they, the grants can only just keep them afloat in some instances. And in, in other instances, they can't keep them afloat. And, uh, and then that's when businesses sadly go under. Now, tomorrow, obviously, for pubs, speaking from pubs, from my experience, from my granddad running a pub, now my mum running, running a pub, I can tell you that for, for some pubs, opening up is actually worse for business than uh, staying closed uh, because yeah. of the fact that the running costs, staff, uh, you know, utilities, it'll all be expensive. But in the end, because people might go, well, I don't want to sit outside or you don't actually have the good facilities um, to have people sit outside and still feel comfortable, you may end up making losses. So tomorrow might be good for some pubs and, uh, and hospitality, but for others, it could be just, you know, it will just be another extra month in lockdown 
uh, until May comes. When I th- is it May that we can go indoors? It is, isn't it? I think the plan is, as things stand, that from the 17th of May, you'll be able to go indoors and socialise indoors. Um, so I think that with that, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what restaurants and pubs are opening tomorrow. I mean, we know, know about some. Uh, certainly, I, I would imagine most places that have got a substantial garden uh, will, will, will open because it's an opportunity to get people back um, using their, their their facilities and get their customers back. But as you say, it, it, it isn't going to be uh, that they're back to fully operational overnight. They, they, they're going to be running at small capacity. They, their, their costs will come back on stream. So yes, it's going to be difficult for businesses. Um, and it's, this is... As I see it tomorrow, yes, it's exciting, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we will see smiles on some people's faces, uh, some business owners, as well as people enjoying uh, being able to go places they've not been to before. But this is the first step on a journey, and what I really want to happen with this journey is that it's a journey that this time doesn't uh, get brought to a halt. Um, so we, we had default, we've had false dawns before. I think talking to, to other business owners um, after the last year, uh, what what people want more than anything is the certainty that we are on a journey now where we are opening up and there's no going back again. Now, I know there's health considerations that need to be taken, but I think there's now the growing confidence that with the, with the vaccine, as long as... Uh, people f- continue to follow advice we can move forward on this journey to towards opening up uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and the recovery can start which is important for a number of reasons um, it's important economically um, the economic hit we've taken in in the country over the last year it's important for individual businesses there, there's, there's a lot of of businesses that have been very close to the edge in terms of uh, being able to continue and sadly lots of lots have given up and, and closed their doors and won't be reopening at any time uh, but it's also important I think in terms of, of, of social issues as well mental health um, which is something that I'm passionate about my business is about uh, um, coaching and training and uh, consultancy to uh, support uh, better mental health, mental, mental resilience. Um, there, there's been a big impact on mental health in, in all communities over the last year, some of which is through isolation. Um, uh, it's, it's during lockdown, people have spent more time on their own, not being able to socialise, and, and also the stress of lockdown and the worry of COVID. It, it, it's, um, it's just increased what was already a massive problem in terms of mental health. Um, so the moving forward is good in terms of, of, of taking some of that away, but also we need to make sure that there's proper support in place, both through the NHS and institutions and funding, but also through individuals looking out for each other. So uh, if, you, uh, if, if, if you're going out this week and there's people you've not seen for a while now that you can meet... Um, socially maybe give them a ring check in on them see how they're doing see if they want to come with you for a coffee or to to have a drink in the back garden of a pub and, and just encourage people to uh, to, to 
find a way back into this. As I say, some people are going. Some people are going to be really wanting to go out and do everything from day one. Other people I've spoken to, particularly people who've got health issues, are a little bit more circumspect about what what they want to do. But um, it's it's good if we can move forward that uh, everyone looks to support each other. And I think one of the big positives for me over the last year locally in Beeston is, is the way that the community has come together and people have supported one another. So uh, the more that we can keep that going, the better. A hundred percent. I think that as I've spoke about on multiple podcasts, you know, the, uh, the community that we have in Beeston is fantastic outside of COVID and um, and we've we've proved even more how fantastic we are uh, during COVID, uh, and we've shown it to not just people uh, in Beeston but also wider regions as well. So, in, in terms of the vaccinations that you mentioned, vaccinations we are apparently going to be uh, within a herd immunity. Um, we have reached herd immunity or whatever by tomorrow, apparently, according to scientists from Sage and other organisations. Now. What that means is, you know, the majority of the people have some level of antibodies against COVID, meaning that COVID, it's more difficult to spread throughout the population and should lower cases and not eradicate it. I don't think that is, I think it will suppress it. Um, But with the vaccinations, we need to realise that it isn't just this country that needs vaccinations. It needs to be a global effort. Now, we could prioritise political uh you know arguments and squabbles and we could do that in fact in some cases that has happened but we need to realize that there is places now that don't have any stock of vaccinations and without them having stocks of vaccinations there's going to be more cases possibly new variants coming out of that and there's also going to be thousands more people dying Um, and if we want to achieve a global win against this virus in a war uh, which we are in we are in a war against this virus we need to lead a global vaccination uh, initiative. And now the COVAX system allows that and it is, you know, helping with that. But even then, we need more. You know, we need more uh, support for smaller uh, countries and uh, low-income countries. You know, we need to help them out. So how do we do it? Easier said than done, I know. Because obviously, we have to produce the vaccine. Vaccines don't just all appear and then in someone's arm, there needs to be people administering them. That can cost, that costs money. Um, or, you know, volunteers very kindly do it. So you need the manpower. You need the manufacturing process. You need it to be perfect. You don't need the, there can't be any mistakes when producing the vaccine. They have to produce enough vaccines um, for the requested order that has been made. And there also needs to be a, um, there needs to be safety checks and, and stuff like that to make sure that they are 100% safe. So with vaccinations, the vaccines are, are, are definitely safe. With what's happened with the AstraZeneca one, I'm not a scientist, so I couldn't possibly tell you what has happened with the under 30s there. But I can tell you from people that I know that have had the AstraZeneca vaccine, they are okay. Uh, and, and it is definitely safe. So we've obviously, I know you're now part of NG9 News, Paul. And I'm really glad that you've joined us. And, and, and a few times previously before you joined us and also recently, we'd highlighted how important it is to take the vaccine when you have been given uh, the opportunity. Please take it. <laughs> because just please take it. 
you know, there might, there will not be by any means millions of people listening to this right now, but there might be that one person who's been unsure about it. I promise you, you'll be fine. This, this vaccine you need to take. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've taken it. So I've taken the AstraZeneca vaccine. I'm, I'm not a, my, my wife is, my wife's a scientist. Um, and I know quite a few of scientists. Um, and it shouldn't be a political argument. I tend to listen to the scientists and try to follow the science on it. I wouldn't use your term. I'd never say anything definite, definitive. Uh, but that's maybe just the, 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 the voice of experience. Hmm. But from the evidence I've seen, it's um, the risk of taking the vaccine is far less than the risk of uh, catching COVID particularly at my age. Um, so that, that's the basis that, that I took it on. Uh, I actually didn't really have any side effects. Um, some people have had side effects, others haven't. I've had no side effects whatsoever. Um, and now, yes, I, I, I know now that uh, I've got some protection. Uh, I think I may have had some protection already because I think I actually had COVID last year, but... Uh, now, having had one dose, I'll have some protection. As second dose, I'll be having at the beginning of June. That, sh that should boost my my protection. Um, the, the thing that makes me happy, my, most happy with that, is not so much for myself, uh, but but I've got eld elderly relatives, particularly an elderly aunt and un uncle, that I've tried to, to keep away from to protect during COVID. So. Uh, uh, there's less chance of me passing it on to them, mainly not just because I'll have been vaccinated, because they'll have had their vaccines too. Um, so some of this is about thinking about others, not just thinking about yourself. Hmm. Um, and, and that's, but, but equally, if there's, I, I've always took the view, if, if, if there's individual people for religious views or whatever else don't want a vaccine, then it's a matter for them and it should be a matter of choice. The vast majority of people, I, I hope, um, and the evidence is that they have will opt into a vaccine programme because they'll be convinced of the arguments. Uh, I wouldn't want personally to see compulsory vaccination. I think that that would be uh, a, a way, in, in a way that would do more harm than good. I think it's, uh, and, and the scientists say this as well, and the behavioural scientists, that, that you want to people to be taking it because they want to so it's about persuasion rather than force but yeah i i've took it and i'd encourage everybody else locally to who, uh, who hasn't had it so far to to opt in and have that jab and mm. um, the other the other issue you raised um about um internationally and globally um this is something I know a little bit more about because I, I did economics at university uh, many years ago. Uh, and as part of that, I, I did do uh, development economics. And one of the things that, that COVID should bring home to everybody, it certainly brought, brought, brought home to me again, is, is that we are a global world. And um, people been talking about globalization for, for, for a long time uh, and that we're becoming more interconnected, more interdependent. Uh, but that's become very clear again through COVID just because 
uh, it, it spreads so quickly because people travel. Um, there's planes going all over the world and people travel. Um, one of the things we haven't talked about um, uh, that, that could set things back is, is variants of the virus. Um, viruses evolve, that's what I do know about uh, viruses. Uh, we, and we should all know just from flu and cold viruses, they're always evolving, they're always changing. Um, so it, if, if you suppress it in one area, it, if it carries on somewhere else, it can evolve in another area and then come back with a different variant, possibly one that vaccinations don't work on. So it is important that there's a global response to looking at how we can manage this. Uh, and that's an important role for um, doing well with the vaccine. I mean, Britain has done remarkably well so far, partly in terms of being involved in uh, developing the vaccines, but also in, in, in rolling it out. America's doing well now, um, possibly since the change of president, but uh, there's, there's, there's certainly been a, a step up in their response for rolling things out in, in the last two or three months. Uh, and elsewhere in the world, uh, countries have, have, have started to, to, to roll out the vaccine to cover the older part of their population and, um, uh, and, and are doing very well with that. But there were other parts of the world where, as you said, that that um, they haven't had access to the vaccine or um, and that's that is a concern that we need to work with and that's we there's been variants that have been imported um, the Brazilian variant the South African variant that people have talked about there will be variants that can develop all over the world and be brought back and that could set us back so there needs to be an effort to stop that and we also need to be weary that this could be a long battle that scientists are going to have to, 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 to face to tweak vaccines. And maybe uh, there's going to be another round of vaccinations needed next winter or this time next year against new and emerging variants, unless we can completely suppress it. And one way that you can start to suppress it is, is by getting people vaccinated across the world. So that means sharing the knowledge uh, that's been developed between countries and also sharing the costs of being able to vaccinate, vaccinate which would mean that, that richer countries help uh, support the smaller countries, which, which sort of highlights some of the issues that, that maybe we've got now to, to think about as a country, because having just spent um, four years talking about Brexit, negotiating our way out of relationships with Europe, looking and thinking about our position as, as, uh, in the world. And um, in the recent budget or the budget before where they, 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 they halve the international aid budget. And then you sit here thinking and talking about, well, actually we are part of a global world. And, it, and if we're not supporting other countries, who, who is gonna do it? Um, with all, sort of the sixth or seventh richest country in the world and and, and there's a there's a role for us to play there mm. yeah no 100 percent. i mean I, you know there does need to be a global vaccination effort regardless of uh, what relationships we have with other countries we must share um the the information and science that we have on the vaccinations how we make them and uh, and also stop squabbling about 
who's got this, who's got that. Oh, I ordered it first. It needs to be, you know, we, we need to think about the safety of the people, not the safety of someone's pockets or their political reputation. And so I'll say Absolutely. this as well. I'm going to go a little bit controversial regarding the halving the aid. Now, my opinion on it is that there does need to be aid for other countries. That is a simple statement because countries, some countries that we give aid to, we've actually destroyed in the past and are one of the main reasons they haven't been able to have um, a prosperous future. And we must accept that. And we must look past the Union Jack flag and go, actually, we've made some mistakes there. We sell to Saudi Arabia bombs, other military equipment, of which go and bomb innocent children in Yemen and, you know, women, men, children, yep. and kill them. But we still give aid to Yemen. How does that make sense? How does that make sense? We, we are giving aid to a country that we technically, we are well, we're giving the weapons to a country that's bombing them and then we're just giving them the aid. Well, how does that work? There has to be some sort of logic within our government that can see that and knows exactly what's <laughs> happening. I understand that Britain is one of the biggest weapons sellers in the world, you know, and my opinion on that is, is an industry. But when it comes to Saudi Arabia and what they're doing in Yemen, there has to be a, where does, there's got to be a moral line. As a person, as a human being, don't you think this isn't right? I know we could yeah, make this this much money, but this is I, not right. I agree hundred percent with that. I wasn't coming uh, this afternoon thinking we'd ended up end up talking about Yemen, but um, it's it's an it's an issue that a lot of people probably don't know a lot about. Um, <laughs> uh, but anybody who does find out anything about Yemen, and if, if you put things in Google, you can find out a lot about what's happening over there. Um, that there's a disaster that's unfolded in in that country over the past few years, and it's largely uh, British and American arms that have been fueling that disaster. Um, and, and then, then as you say, we then end up spending aid to try and with the problem that has been created by that disaster. So. Uh, Try squaring that circle, and and it's, it's not the first time. Um, uh, you look around, problem spots all over the world, and um, wherever they tend to be uh, difficulties, or uh, and and often those difficulties then create refugees that then are seeking uh, to, to 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 flee from that country to find a better better future, and who could blame them? Um, but that the hand of what was behind that before um, is, is either British or American involvement, or it's British and American arms that have been uh, been, been used by by people who have been causing the, the problems in the first place. So, yeah, it's it's, it's an area mm -hmm. of debate um, that, that we ought to be having more often. In terms of uh, international aid. Um, I have to say these problems, there's always been problems with the way international aid money is used. Uh, it's something that, that I've uh, read about over many years because it, it becomes a political thing. So, so, so the money gets given out partly uh, to, by the British government 
to do the bidding of the British government. It, uh, it has done in the past. The, the other problem with it is, is, is that a lot of aid has disappeared uh, into corrupt governments. So it, it, it's not used for the benefit of the people that it's supposed to be being used in. So the, we need to do more as a country uh, and the politicians need to be more open with this to look at best practice of how we can use aid to build longer term solutions so that we can put money in to to develop self-sufficiency to develop technology to help countries to develop so that they can build their own economies uh, too often it's been used as a sticking plaster we chuck money in and, and then 10 years down the line there's not a lot to show for it and we're still chucking money in so um from, from an economics perspective, I would say there's lots that we need to learn where from where it's been done more successfully. Mm. Um, but certainly it's something that we ought to be looking to do as a responsibility because some of the problems have been caused by us in the past. But morally, surely we want a world where everybody, I mean, I'm, I, what, the one thing I'm passionate about is, is, is personally, as I'm, I'm a humanist, I, I get more cynical about politics as I get older, but I'm a humanist. And my view is that, that all human beings should have uh, uh, the same opportunity and the, the, the same access to life and health as, as each other. Um, and we should, we should make sure that, 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 that there's support there to enable that to happen. Mm. Um, and that's a moral thing that we, we should all look to, to support people across the world, both in, in terms of education, access to healthcare, et cetera. And it, until we're in a position to do that, then, then the richer, until we're in a position where everybody's got those things, then there's a, there's a moral obligation for, for richer countries to, to give funding to, to, to poorer countries. Mm. And, and there's also a moral obligation for the very wealthy to put money in as well. I'd have to say, uh, in some ways I'd applaud uh, some of the things that people like Elon Musk and Bill Gates have done in terms of setting up foundations, but on the other hand, I'd still question why, quite why they've been allowed to accumulate so much wealth <laughs> as individuals, because it seems it seems odd that individuals can have as much money as uh, small countries. <laughs> well, no, yeah, you're 100. percent You know, when you put it into a perspective of, well, Elon Musk is worth more than I don't know. Uh, Barbados <laughs> you think okay well that's yeah. crazy but the thing with billionaires is and maybe this will be a, a very unpopular opinion but I think we need to see two sides to it commonly I will see on social media billionaires shouldn't exist no 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 right because of this 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 and this you've given good evidence and you've given good facts so I completely appreciate and respect your opinion on that and i actually agree with you in some points in some ways but billionaires they're not all bad people not all of them these people that have worked hard the majority of them anyway i'm not going to say donald trump worked that hard um these are people that have worked hard and have given their 100 percent and given well given their a life away uh, to making you know a company that has become successful now from a personal perspective if i was running a company and I saw the income and I saw that it was making billions a year. And then I looked at my own personal incomes and I saw, okay, billions. And then, I don't know, Forbes 
put out a thing saying, oh, I'm worth 30 billion, you're going to go, wow, that's incredible. Well done. You know, you're going to be proud. You know, for people going, oh, I hate billionaires. If you were a billionaire, what, what would actually be going through your head? Let me give 90% of my wealth away. Would you say that? I don't think you would. But billionaires do create jobs, as I've said. They also encourage people to do startups. And as you say, they, they have start, some billionaires have started foundations, which is incredible. But there does need to be um, some higher taxes on, on billionaires because, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I read the other day in the news that Joe Biden was actually, you know, increasing tariffs on uh, some UK, uh, on some trades because of the fact that the UK wanted to tax some American companies higher. I, I really don't know why on earth he did that, but I think by taxing some of the mega corporations and so-called monopolies higher and also charging uh, the, some of the, the super rich elite more money, that's not a bad thing, you know. Just, can I just say, I, I, actually, what, what's happened with, with, with the tariffs in America is quite interesting because it really started with European cooperation that that uh, the EU decided that they wanted to uh, to stop some of the American corporations being able to do what they wanted to do. Hmm. So they they operated at a cross European level to uh, to increase taxes and regulations on those American corporations. Now it didn't go down too well in America. What's happened is that since we've left the EU. The, uh, the the American government are now able to threaten us with tariffs because we're now on our own, whereas they couldn't threaten the whole of the EU with tariffs because it would have hurt them more. So, unfortunately, that's one of the things that's uh, has happened as a result of us leaving leaving the EU that we're more susceptible now as a small nation to threats from bigger nations. In terms of the point of, of in respect of billionaires, I'd, I mean, I'd never say that individuals. Um, I'd never say I hate somebody just because of a, a billionaire, or I'd never say I hated anybody because as an individual, it's sort of sometimes the process or the system that that I I, I dislike more than individuals. Um, some of those billionaires have uh, come away from making those billions and I'd honestly say some of them now realise that the world can't go on in operating economically as it is operating where, where a few individuals have got more wealth than half the planet. Um, and that's why uh, I think people like Bill Melinda Gates have put money into uh, through their foundations into the developing world. Um, which, which is a good thing, but but equally, should should it be should we be relying on the the good the goodwill of two or three individuals to be able to do that? Yeah. Um, other people have made money through practices that that maybe aren't in in the interests of the majority of people. Um, so Amazon, for example, um, they. They've made more money out of the last year and out of COVID than uh, than anybody else probably. Um, 
But the thing with Amazon is, is part of that money has always been based on exploiting the workforce, and they, they've always been very anti-union, very exploitative. And, and we've got a situation now where, in uh, I think in the UK, uh, some of the Amazon van drivers are complaining about the amount of work that they're having to do, that it's becoming dangerous in terms of how much time they're expected to be out doing um, deliveries uh, to make an income. Uh, they're not making lots of money out of it. Um, and also, it's not great for the environment, I suppose, lots of uh, diesel vans flying around uh, delivering things. So, so there's all of these issues here. You, you, this, this, some people can make billions out of not necessarily doing the right thing. Um, so it's a the question about how how we can respond to that. And I think that's all part of the economic debate we need to have a, a post-COVID about, right, once we've got through this, what sort of society do we, do we want to build? How do we want things going forward in the future? And I think two of the big hopes, well, two or three of the big hopes that, that, that I've got coming out of this are one, that people realise that we've only got one planet, the, the climate and the environment are fragile. And as a, um, as a species, we need to take responsibility, uh, not just for ourselves, but for other species as well, and for the planet and for future generations. There's, there's no point using all the resources today and not leaving any for our children. So I, I think the environment would be top of my agenda. But also, uh, after, after the environment, I think there's big discussions to be had about what what's life for. Um, and I think lots of people have had the opportunity over the last year, maybe to, 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 to take a step back from working really long hours and, uh, and, and to say, actually, do, do we want to go back towards that? Would we rather that we we have a better balance between life and work? Is it better that we people who can work from home work from home, cutting down on commuting, which gives them more time for other things, but also stops pollution, etc. So, so there's all of these issues here that need need to be discussed. And, and for me, the thing that that I'm passionate about that's at the centre of all of that is, is again mental health because that whole work-life balance, the well-being side, can we uh, improve the, the, the well-being and mental health and mental resilience of people? Because whatever else we, we've, we, we, we take from the last year is um, for COVID, we, we were looking at statistics where one in four people uh, can have a mental health issue at any time. The vast majority of people will, will will experience a mental health issue in their lifetime, whether that's personally or through a family member or a loved one. And have we we, we got a society now where we, we've got the right balance that we're supporting our well-being so people are actually living a life that they love? And I'd say probably not. So we need to maybe take a step back, look at how uh, we can get a better balance and, and all start to live a life that, um, that or, or, or run society in a way we can all, where we can all live a life that we love, but also uh, live a life that doesn't use up the future sustainability of the planet. So 
that's sort of where, where my passion is in terms of moving forward. That's why I get involved in local community politics with a small P largely, because I'm fed up with uh, big, big P. Uh, I get involved in small community politics and it's why my business is uh, focused on supporting people with mental health. But that's probably a good place to leave it. Hmm. Do you know what? And, and before we before we leave it, I mean, my laptop is just about to die. Um, I just want to say, you know, I've been I've probably known you. How long have I probably known you for now? But not that long. A couple of weeks. <laughs> a week, yeah, a couple of weeks. Um, now, obviously, I messaged you regarding uh, the minute silence that were, was being held for um, the, the, the people that have sadly passed away um, during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and obviously, we then spoke from there. Since then, obviously, you've, you've now become a podcast guest. Uh, you've uh, joined the the team at NGI News and I just want to thank you so much for you know not only joining me today but for you know joining the uh, the other project that you know I'm working with so many great people on and uh, I'd like to say regarding tomorrow um, as you mentioned earlier Paul you're, you're going to be going out into Beeston speaking to businesses and you know kind of asking how they're doing and I really hope that when we write something um, from your experiences of that day, we can really highlight the great businesses, not only in Beeston, but the whole of NG9 that we do have. And, um, and I really do hope that tomorrow is a, a successful day, a prosperous day and a, a positive day for, for businesses across the country, because yeah. it has been such a rubbish year. <laughs> been open at times, but it has been rubbish. And we're, yeah. we're not quite there yet. But we are we are getting close so just please just abide by what the government's saying although you might not want to do it and you think this is all a big new world all the thing <laughs> at the end of the day my opinion on it is your opinion's valid of course it is but it's not about you it's about the other people around you you know think of them we just want to get it over and done with so yeah you know be safe enjoy tomorrow and even if you're not going out tomorrow and you're or you're shielding or you know you won't be coming out till may or june just take some time you know listen to some good music uh, if you follow me on facebook you know the uh, music i listen to is really <laughs> different uh but you know listen to some good music my personal recommendations motown and as you keep promoting port and you're doing a great job of uh, mental well-being make i think music is a key part of that yeah. And uh, the kind of the final message I want to leave you on is if you are struggling, speak to me, speak to Paul, um, you know, contact other, you know, uh, mental health services or speak to family and friends, you know, because mental health is extremely important. And, you know, being uh, in a good mind frame is extremely important and um, things will get better. Things will get better. Things will get better. And the, the, the thing that I'd, I'd leave that with is the, the possibly the most important thing to learn and um, it took me a long time to learn this but I've always been keen to get involved and help other people but the, the thing that I've learned is that unless you look after yourself you're never going to be a lot of use to helping other people so sometimes you need to take the time to look after yourself so you're in the state of mind that then you can help others. Uh, it's very important 100% great to talk to you Jay hey it's been great to talk to you yeah. today Paul everybody that was episode 45 there with Paul Swift um, please you know share like do your thing 
And uh, let me know what you thought of the episode. Really glad that you've been able to uh, to hear what me and Paul have been talking about today. And um, enjoy tomorrow and stay safe. Thank you all. Goodbye.